Hey everyone, and welcome to this special edition of the Risky Business Podcast. My name's Patrick Gray. There is no weekly show this week. Uh, instead, we are running this feature interview with Michael Montoya, the CISO at Equinix. This isn't a sponsored interview or anything like that. This podcast uh, was prepared instead with support from the Hewlett Foundation's Cyber Initiative. Uh, the foundation has given us some support to produce these podcasts, these features, uh, which are designed to educate policymakers on all things cybersecurity. So, yes, Michael Montoya, Equinix. Uh, Equinix has 9,000 staff and operates 220 data centers globally. Its annual revenue is in the order of 6 billion US dollars. And in September 2020, it was attacked by a group of criminals who deployed the Networker ransomware onto its corporate network. These attackers demanded a $4.5 million ransom payment uh, for service restoration and to keep the data they stole from the company private. Now, this interview has taken a while to organize, uh, but when I first found out that Michael was open to the idea of talking through this incident, I jumped at it. Uh, it's extremely rare for CISOs to be made available to talk about events like this publicly, uh, but in my opinion, this is something that should happen more often. We can learn a lot by dissecting these types of incidents publicly. So yes, this is the interview where I speak to a CISO about that time their company got ransomware. Uh, but as you'll hear, you know, you can kind of get partially ransomware. It's not an all or nothing type of uh, type of deal. Uh, this whole thing was really a mixed experience for Equinix because even though they got hit, they were able to actually minimize the damage in a, in a meaningful way. Uh, they were also able to evict the attackers and as you'll hear, they, they were able to restore from backups. Now you will hear Michael say uh, in this interview that the total number of machines that were crypted was 1800, uh, but you'll also hear him say he needs to check on that number. Now after we finished this interview, he did go and check uh, and the actual number of machines that were crypted in this attack was 899. Now obviously for a company that operates data centers, 220 of them and has 9,000 staff, that is actually quite a small proportion uh, of their fleet. So anyway, the best way I could think of uh, to approach this interview was to start at the beginning and talk through this whole thing as a blow by blow. So I started off by asking Michael Montoya how this whole thing started. And uh, here's what he had to say. Well, Patrick, you know, these things never come in no time is a good time, but they certainly never come uh, middle of the day during a work week, right? So this actually hit us on a three day holiday weekend, smack in the middle of that three day at a towards the later part of the afternoon. So I actually, where I was interesting, and I'm grateful for my son for this because we were actually fishing for our Labor Day holiday here in the, in the United States. And he decided he was done fishing. He wanted to go home. So we took a drive back home. And it was when we got back home, it was towards that afternoon. Uh, I got a call from our security operations center saying that they have seen some interesting behavior. Effectively, we saw a, a PowerShell command reach out to GitHub. Um, and from that point, we went into a, a, an observation model. But within 15 minutes of us observing that first, that first indicator, I was, I was I, you know, our security operations center reached out to me. It was a Sunday late afternoon, my time. If we go into UTC, I won't go to UTC, so I'll talk GMT time, if you don't mind, uh, GMT minus five, uh, East Coast United States time. But it was about five, I think it was around 5 p.m. roughly, Eastern Standard Time when um, 
they saw that first alert and they contacted me within 15 minutes to say, Hey, we've observed something that this one doesn't feel or seem like something we should, uh, uh, it gave someone the the heebie-jeebies. It's got got some gravity. It's got, it's got gravity, right? Yeah. And it honestly gave me the heebie-jeebies too, to be really honest. So we immediately from that point went into a, a high alert observation mode and activated our full incident response process within about 15 minutes after that. Yeah. So, I mean, how far along were the attackers by the time that you caught this first signal, right? Because quite often by the time you see something in the seam, it's like, well, okay. Then you start diving and you realize the activity goes back a little way, right? Like, so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I imagine, yeah, you know, well, you ac- activate your incident response plan and then you start unpicking this and like, what? It, what I guess what I'm asking is what did you find? Uh, you well, know, how did well, it unfold? Well, we were, so we, we applied UDA model. You're probably familiar with that. So, I mean, it's just, we wanted to observe some things, but what we learned is that there was about a total of 19 days of dwell time overall. We didn't know that immediately, of course. Yeah. But what we, what we recognized quickly is we tried to rewind the clock as much as we can. And within a pretty, pretty short period of time, it took us a couple hours to figure this stuff out, but we realized they had materially impacted our environment for about six hours. So they had been in there about six hours yeah. that we were able to, we call that material dwell time is how we look at it. And at that point we recognized that, Hey, they've been in our environment for about six hours. And what we did is we didn't just react. So, you know, a lot of times folks are like, Hey, you know, hit the kill switch, go nuclear immediately. Right. And we wanted to observe because we wanted to see, Hey, what's going on? How much exposure do they have in our environment? What are they trying to accomplish? And so we went into this observation mode for probably about 30 minutes where we collected our own reconnaissance, uh, did our own observations, identified, yes, they're trying to do a ransomware attack using Cobalt. They've got GitHub. They use GitHub as a transport mechanism to get this into our environment. We hadn't recognized just yet what was the, obviously, the beachhead. We hadn't gotten that far. We needed more time for that investigation. But we well, I mean, you're lucky. Often you're lucky if you ever find it. But you know. Yeah, we were able to find it. I mean, we'll we talk some more about that, if assuming we can. Um, but definitely, we. but you're spot on. I mean, most times people spend, you know, Think about solar winds for a moment, right? I mean, a year plus before detection, and you know, whatever statistic you look at from whatever incident response organization, five to eight months before people can even detect anything inside their environment. So, we we had a pretty rapid detection time, so we were fortunate. And then our response to that detection time was pretty quick, and I think it was meticulous. It was a very intentional uh, response. So we didn't just start, you know, whacking network ports and shutting things down, but we were very intentional to say, let's observe this. What are they trying to accomplish? Where are they at in our environment? And once we learn more, we started taking action. Well, we recognized probably within about two hours into the into the event, we put them in a position where they got off their automation and they actually had to get hands on keyboard. Yeah. So we were sort of in we were in live combat at that point, which <laughs> obviously which which kind of puts it puts for a good response team, it puts you in the advantage. Which is well, what you yeah, want because they're on model. the back foot at that point, right? And and foot, you yeah. know, if you can block one of their steps that they've got planned four steps ahead, if you can force them into some dead ends, you know, that's great. Exactly right. Force them into dead ends. You can identify different. You know, you can start to take control of the situation because you know your environment, or you should know your environment, ideally a little better than they do, even though they've probably done more reconnaissance than you wish that they have in your environment. But in any case, we, we, we sort of got into this position where we started going back and forth. You know, we would start to shut down some lateral ports to make sure, hey, we see, hey, you're trying to move laterally here. Um, so we went in and did the kind of the standard shutdown. But effectively, we took a perimeter outside in view to look at, hey, what's our total blast radius we're looking at? Where's our exposure? Let's get it down. We reduced it down to where we believe we found the, 
where our exposure was. And at that point, when we started to shut down those WMI ports and a lot of their ability to move laterally, they decided to execute their ransomware. Just for a point of clarity there, because you did mention that it was a PowerShell script trying to grab something from GitHub. Yep. I'm guessing the reason you responded so aggressively to that is it maybe was like, was that like a domain controller or just, I mean, I'm guessing it wasn't just a workstation, right? If you're moving that quick. No, yeah, it was a server. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't a domain controller, but it was a yeah. server that reached out. Uh, it was inside of a, a, a cloud environment that we had put up. Um, that we were able to catch that and it was connected back into our environment. So we were able to detect it thanks to that connection back into our environment. So, okay, you're, you know, in this 30 minutes to two hours area, what did, you know, you referred to it as a blast radius. What did that blast radius actually look like, right? Because, I, yes. you know, it's either going to yeah. go, well, okay, they're just here and here and here. Or, you know, it's that the color drains out of your face sort of thing, right? As you, <laughs> as you start to unpick it, like, or was it somewhere in between? No, you know, I, I think the color, you know, I, I've got pretty tan skin anyhow, but so the color was completely out of my face, but it, just on the, the first call, you know, it's interesting. I, I've been, I've been in more of these situations that I care to be in because, you know, I've spent a lot of my time with Microsoft and, and FireEye Mandy in my career. And, you know, this was my, this was my first time as a CISO in this position. And I, I think the American boxer, Mike Tyson says it best, right? You know, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah, right? it's a great quote. Uh, there's, it's a great quote. It's an incredible quote. And, and there's so much truth to it. I mean, and we stuck to our plan, but you know, the reality is it feels different when you're, when you're actually in the operator versus someone who's helping the operator. You have a different appreciation when you're the operator who's responsible for this. And, you know, you know the good news is with all the experience I've had in this space, you know, I feel very good about the response that we did as a, as a group. But again, you know, the color drains from your face. The, the, the moment you hear attack or, you know, we saw, you know, we saw a PowerShell reach out to GitHub on a server, your color drains off your face just at that moment, right? Yeah. And then once, once you take out of the ethos the word ransomware and you put it into the full statement that says this is now a ransomware attack, which we realized about when we put them into a position where they couldn't, they couldn't move anymore. Um, and if you look at their full script that they were trying to execute, they got to probably less than 10% of what their anticipation was in terms of affected hosts um, or affected hosts. So, but the moment you say that ransomware word that, Hey, we are in a ransomware attack. It, it takes a lot out of your body. Um, and it takes a lot out of the team as well. And it's just a, it's a it's a it's a major word to say that has a very different feel when you're when you're in when you when you're in this seat versus trying to call somebody in to help you be when you're in this seat. So you know you just mentioned there they got ten percent of what they are they were after, and I'm guessing that's because you were able to kind of you know real time restrict their lateral movement as you mentioned like WMI was kind of their preferred um, path, right? Uh, so yeah. that's that's nice uh, that you were able to do that. But what is it they were able to actually get, and how did they get it? Yeah, so they, they, what they ended up doing is, so back to the blast radius piece. So, you know, we, we were able to get this down to a blast radius. You know, we have these, where we had these pesty file servers that are sitting out there that were on path of moving, right? So that was uh, a big initiative that we had. And unfortunately, we hadn't moved fast enough on those ones. But there were some file servers that they got a hold of. And then they got into some of our IT management systems. So like, because they were able to get into things like SCCM and those things to really, you know, impact some of our, some of our IT controls from the, the management. So, uh, which yeah, obviously you don't, has you don't need the domain controller when you can get the SS, SCCM box, right? 
Yeah, just sort of go and, you know, just sort of impact that piece. So they were able to get some of our IT management systems, get into some of our file servers that um, for the for the most part were, were pretty benign pieces of data, right? Like, you know, directions to Starbucks and references to customers and nothing in terms of uh, sensitivity around confidential information and those types of uh, scenarios. But nevertheless, it hits a hit. What they weren't able to get because of some things that we did, and we can talk about that later, is you know they weren't able to get into any of our customer environments because we had some we had some pretty pretty good both logical as well as network segmentation going there. Our core IT systems, specifically those related to you know our compliance like SOX plus all of our mission critical services, we have a whole stack of systems that are defined as mission critical. So that's all been pretty well segmented and. We control the hard plane. You know, we we actually do a lot of diversity even in the operating system stack to keep it very uh, to keep it segmented even from that perspective. From you know you know a specific issue in say Windows or Linux may not be able to contaminate the other. And so we create some diversity there. So they were we were able to keep our core systems out of this out of the blast radius, keep our customer systems out of the blast radius. And it just ended up hitting uh, some of our file servers and uh, some of those uh, IT management systems. As so I basically like, you know, the, the ad, admin sort of back office, but maybe not the customer delivery stuff, just, you know, the regular kind of back office, boring Windows environment. It, I mean, it, it, I guess it's boring to some degree, but it's essential, right? I mean, when you're, yeah. when, and, and, you know, when you're trying to push out scripts and you don't have SCCM live, that's a challenge, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and and <laughs> you could say that. Manage those hosts. <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, this stuff was important. I mean, the good news is we we had some resiliency options that allowed us to still communicate with hosts, even though we didn't have SCCM. And there were some options there that we took that we definitely put into place. But you know, there, even though the the so hang on, hang on, talk because that sounds interesting, right? Like, yeah. you know, did you have other agents? on those boxes yeah, we, we did have an agent on our on all of our boxes and our endpoints that allowed us to still communicate with those hosts we we didn't trust sccm at all once once it got infected we just we shut it off and said sccm just doesn't exist for us yeah okay so you just you just removed it we just we just we we, we inevitably went nuclear not only did we not trust sccm um we did a full uh Kuros reauth and we just I mean, we reset service accounts we reset batch jobs <laughs> Yeah, we we pulled the nuclear option yeah. out of complete paranoia, and the the the, imp, the biggest impact obviously our administrators weren't delighted because you know there's a lot of work to go and reset service accounts, et cetera. The 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 general user population though, I mean, the biggest impact they saw from a usability perspective and a workload perspective was that they had to go reset their password. We forced everyone in the company to reset their passwords. Honestly, wasn't necessary, but we felt it was a it was a good just hygiene. Well, thing Well, until you're a little bit further on in your investigation, it seems prudent, right? Yeah, no, exactly, right. We, so we we it was we were about almost five hours. It was about four hours and, and change in when we decided to pull the nuclear op. And so once we saw them pull, once we saw them execute the ransomware scripts, and we knew we had it pretty well contained to what they could get access to, we were obviously trying to avoid as much as possible. Um, but we just we took the we went a, an absolute nuclear response to say let's just well this is what happens treat. when you have a CISO who used to work at Mandiant right <laughs> yeah we just yeah we just <laughs> took a nuclear response and you know it, it, it comes with its own set of uh, dialogue from administrators etc but for the most part I mean the company which I'd love to get into about you know kind of cultivating a culture of security and how these events really help even though you don't want to force these events to make it help but just if they're there they're incredible mobilizers. But you know, it was just 
you know, effectively the entire company became an InfoSec employee during those few days. Um, yeah. And it was, it was, it, so we, it was just incredible to see the entire company respond. And you want to make sure you have those relationships as well as that culture in a company because, you know, had, had administrators come back and complain, you know, we can't go change every batch job, right. Or, you know, reset every service account because, you know, they, they want us to prove why it's just a good idea, even though it's just prudent. Um, you know, that's just time you don't have in these situations, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, so, uh, you know, from that time of that first PowerShell thing being observed to ransomware being dropped, that was what, like a, a few hours, was it? Yeah, I think, I think the, the to- I don't know the exact time. I can definitely get you those exact times, but I think it was, it was somewhere in the neighborhood about four and a half hours. Yeah. And that was when you decided to go nuclear was when that started happening. Yeah. Yeah, we went nuclear. We activated our full crisis management plan, which includes pulling in our our executives. You know, activating our third party incident response retainers, getting you know third party legal involved, all the all the box ticking. Get out, get our full risk environment. You know, obviously, you've got to start documenting things differently around you know you know cyber insurance, et cetera. Yeah, so that 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 gets us to the post blast phase of this conversation right and i do want to talk about the 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 business side right and what that was like to deal with because it sounds like you actually had a you know a pretty good experience there but let's just keep talking about the actual you know timeline of the attack or the mechanics of the attack so there's been this explosion right and you've gone nuclear at that point when you went nuclear i'm guessing that you were able to stop these guys from further propagating things into the environment yeah 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 100 yeah so we, the, they're, they're that their blast rate it was limited at that point yeah so now it's done right uh now you i'm guessing you're looking at a bunch of compromised machines that are ransomware you probably got the attackers with a foothold still in the network you know so what was the state of play at that point like what were you looking at were you looking at okay we've lost you know we've lost our CCM, we've lost some of our file shares we think the attackers have a presence on these machines and maybe all of these like just just what was your sort of status report at that point in the in the attack yeah i mean at that point you're you're now moving to from we we went into an initial containment mode at that point. So we said, okay, we've got this contained. So we're now starting to preserve evidence, right? So we're pooling logs. We're getting our firewall logs. We're getting our AD logs. We're getting, you know, our endpoint logs. We're getting as much artifacts as possible. The other thing you're doing and we're doing is we're starting to look for back doors. You know, where did we miss something? And this is where your third party incident response really helps as well, right? Yeah. So we were quickly deploying effectively a, a, a forensics agent onto all of these devices so we can start capturing all the device information, understand, hey, is there something we missed? And you're really in a you're really in an evidence preservation mode at that point, right? Let me get as much data as I possibly can because now I'm about to go into full investigation mode. And I need to find out how this got in, how this got out. Um, I need to understand where the back doors may be and do I have I plugged them all? And just ensure that that initial containment, um, you know, you want to work towards full containment, which is what you have to go tick the boxes off on those areas. So that's, we moved into that boat and really just evidence preservation, ensuring that we had all of our logs that we needed from critical systems while we continued to just investigate and shut systems down and preserve our backups, do all the things that you need to do to get the systems back on. So, so in total, how many boxes actually got rinsed? Oh God! I want to. I, Ballpark. I, to I mean, it doesn't need to be precise. It was. It was. It was the neighborhood. About eighteen hundred boxes got rinsed. 
That's you yeah. know, that's a few. Right? Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely a few, right? I mean, we they definitely you know they these things don't come without impact, right? Mm. Um, and and they're incredibly disruptive. Even if you keep your if you keep your users in a good situation and you keep your customers in a great situation and you keep you know the company running. There's just incredible disruption that happens. So, and, so was that like workstations and servers, or like was it? You know, was the bulk of the number just sort of less important workstations, or? Yeah, less important workstations. Some of these file servers that honestly should have never been on the system in the first place. I mean, they yeah. were just they were in a retirement and a life phase. It was just sort of a. That's I. I you was, keep coming back to that, so I'm guessing that one falls into the bucket of CISO regrets, right? That that, that a, one hadn't been. Yeah. But there, there's there's a lot of urgency. I mean. Yeah, 100%, right? And, and you, there's not an organization out there who doesn't have these file servers out there that, you know, they're just, they hang around for some reason, right? And it, they're just so important to pay attention to. And I'm not saying that not everyone's not paying attention to, but we certainly took a very different approach once we uh, once we got out of the situation. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. So, okay, so you're sitting there, you've got 1,800 locked boxes. I'm guessing your, um, you know, your third-party incident responders were able to come in, you know, run some of their amazing scripts and whatever on some of these Windows boxes and maybe start identifying some hosts that had some, you know, some shells bouncing out of them. Uh, and then, okay, so then I'm guessing you moved on to the eviction phase. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So we we got we we did we did detect some back doors that were planted and we got those shut down. So that was great news. Um, you know, and at that point it was about day, I want to say day three, where we called full containment. So we felt like, hey, we there was a there was an automated back door that tried to pop its head up. We detected someone in a, within, like a like a scheduled event or something. Exactly right. So, and it was a, a machine that hadn't rebooted. So we we caught it, and uh, upon that, we we were able to, to block that very quickly. Once we found all those back doors, and we got that full containment, which was about on Wednesday of that same week, which I think was three days. You know, then then you kind of move into the you move into the cleanup phase, right? Which is, you know, you're still investigating. You're looking for your beachhead. You're looking for all your points of egress. We did identify our beachhead. Um, and and what really, was it? How did they? How did they get you? Because that's a you know that's a important part of this. It's it's kind of the know your perimeter, right? It's those those famous RDP ports um, oh. that can get you. So they got in through an open RDP port. Shit. They just brute forced yeah. it. Yeah, that, that was hurts. not fun. No, yeah. and that's like that's like oh, you know, as a CISO, I imagine you'd be like, well, shit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's I mean, it, well, this kind of go, not only oh. Shit, um, it's, it, it speaks a lot to, I know you talk a lot on this show and, and a lot of the folks you bring on the show, I mean, you know, your cloud hygiene is as important as any other hygiene. And a lot of times when, you know, it's super easy to get into a cloud, you get a lot of sometimes unsanctioned IT in the clouds. Mm. Um, and you know, the configurations that come out of the box on the cloud sometimes don't always follow the best practices they should. Yeah. And that's and, why also, you know, cloud discovery uh, and discovery tools are such a big thing right now is to find stuff like this. Absolutely. Right. And we are definitely, you know, we are all over our cloud these days, but, mm. you know, we're, you know, it, it, it did come in. It was an unsanctioned environment that. So they, uh, they swam from and... the cloud into your on-prem. Uh, by exactly. the sense of things, sort of the opposite of the Russians, right? Who go on-prem and then into the cloud. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So we'll call this we the reverse to... Russian. 
It was the reverse Russian. <laughs> <laughs> Let's coin it. The reverse Russian. He got done yeah. in a reverse Russian. Um, now, so, yeah. so like at this point too, I got to ask, like, had you received any communication from the attackers, right? Because these guys want to get paid. Now, I know you're making yeah. them busy. Uh, you know, I know you forced them by the sounds of things to sort of bring forward the destructive part of their attack, which may have... Yeah, I mean, it sounds like if you hadn't been, if you hadn't have caught that PowerShell thing, this could have worked out. I mean, eighteen hundred boxes rinsed is bad, but it's worse when it's your entire enterprise, right? So yeah, yeah, we yeah. got a big, we got a big enterprise too. I mean, it was still a, a very small portion, um, yeah. with all due respect. And before we end, I got to go look up the number because I just got to make sure that number. And, right. and it sounds um, like too that like they would not really, in all likelihood, have had a very easy time of hopping across some of those boundaries into some of the more critical environments. But still, okay, so here you are. You've kind of limited the the fallout from this attack. You know, how did the attackers contact you, and what did they say? You know, they they leave their standard notes and they they reach out. At that point, you you hand it over to your legal. At that point, right, and and it is part of this kind of post breach activities and even pre-beach, right? You want to make sure you, you really want to make sure you have your incident response retainers current, that you're got your third party legal lined up and any third party legal you have really needs to have a whole communication uh, capability to deal with some of these people, right? So, cause you don't want to deal with them directly. No, um, so, so what so did they point, leave it? Did they leave a note on the box? Did they just email you? Like how, how did they hundred no, percent? Even... Yeah. They left, they left the note on the box, letting us know how to contact them. And we handed that all to our legal and, and yeah. they sorted it out. And so what was, you know, what was legal's approach to this? Cause I imagine maybe they would have gone out to an external law firm that had some experience with this stuff, or did they pick it up with the insurers who provided a, a negotiator? Like how, how did this part of it all work? Yeah, so this this is why it's so important. I mean, and a lot of times, it, it, and I'll, I'll speak to my incident response or mine versus me being in this situation. I mean, most people out there have an incident response plan. They have a they have retainers in in motion, but it's really important to constantly, constantly test those things and make sure that you know they're they're working, they're active. You don't want to be inventing things or creating things at this point. You don't want to be leaving voicemails saying, "Hey, yeah. this is Michael Montoya." I need some help. Can you maybe put me in touch with the right person? And that person's on leave. And yeah, this is why tabletops yeah. are useful, right? Yeah, yeah. And we, it, you know, I love the, you know, most militaries have this term, right? Train like you fight and fight like you train. And and it really applies to your crisis management incident response. And you should be bringing in your legal, your third party legal, as well as your your incident response firms, and especially in some of these larger crisis management tabletops. And our company did did that. That was one of the things that really helped us is that we had gone through those exercises. So it wasn't like we were trying to create things on the fly here. Um, but I'm guessing, you know, I'm guessing had, this wouldn't have just been a case of you handing off that contact in its entirety. You know, you would have had to provide uh, guidance to legal saying, well, we think we can recover from this because we have backups or no, no, we're screwed if we don't pay. I mean, I'm guessing there was some sort of rundown that you would have to give them. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You look at, uh, you look at your state, you, do we have our, you know, first of all, what's the disruption? I mean, you look at your enterprise risk statements to say, okay, for us, something like, you know, keeping, keeping our customer environments whole and available is a big risk statement for us. So is that at risk? And, you know, we were able to tick that box off. There's obviously a regulatory component that you have to look at in terms of, you know, do we have any disclosure issues here? What data was in there? So we're starting to analyze the data now and that's where our legal took over. Let's go and scrub the data that we do believe has had been impacted here 
And we have to start looking for all of the regulatory impacts and other sensitivity of information impacts that this may come with. And, and, and what was um, your backup situation? Do you know what I mean? Was this stuff, and, once it was yeah. locked, was it gone so that you lost insight into what it even was that the attackers had? Because I'm presuming they grabbed a bunch of data as well, right? Yeah, no, this is where we were very fortunate, right? So obviously you do the forensics on your backups to make sure that the integrity of your backups are there. And then, uh, but, you know, we, as part of our disruption, uh, or as part of our lack of disruption, you know, we were able to restore from backup and, you know, we were incredibly fortunate that we had, you know, not only good backups, but we had good restoration processes, you know, nothing when you're restoring, I would, you know, I would be discredited if we can all, you know, I used to run backups in a previous life. Right. And we used to laugh because we'd say, Hey, we'll give you a hundred percent backup guarantee, but we'll only give you about 50% restore guarantee because restore is always hard. Right. Yeah. And, but we go through that stuff and we were able to restore actually all of our systems from backup, which was a big, I think that's the first time I've ever heard of that happening. Yeah. And it didn't come <laughs> without complications. I'm not, no. I'm not going to say there weren't complications involved, but we were able to restore from backups. We were able to prioritize our backups based upon, our ability to say, hey, these are the most mission critical things that we need to get back online. Um, our infrastructure team, you know, spends a lot of time uh, really sort of, you know, kind of practicing these, these advantages, looking at our crisis management plans, working on our resiliency activities, and it worked well for us. I mean, this is one of the areas where, you know, in absence of some hiccups, which we all know are there, um, we were able to get our backups live and get them operational. So, uh, so, so had these that... guys had these guys also stolen data? Because you know, a lot of them now they do that double uh, double extortion thing. I mean, were you hit with that? Uh, when you say the double extortion, so say the so. Well, there's the ransomware, that. and then there's the we will leak your data if you don't pay us. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's we went through both of those. So yeah, that, yeah. That, that kind of situation happens. So so then the conversation becomes: Do we pay to keep this data confidential? It becomes a it becomes now a reputational issue, right? I mean, operationally, there's no impact to us. We were able to restore our systems. We were able to keep the company moving. We were able to, to limit the blast radius. But as you mentioned, yeah, now now this becomes an executive discussion. And, uh, and were you and involved board, in those discussions, discussions, or was this just something where it's like, no, we don't need our security guy in on this? No, no, absolutely, we were very involved in the entire situation, the entire discussion. So the obvious question at the end of this, Michael, is, did you pay? <laughs> you know. You know, Patrick, there's a there's an interview tactic in the U.S. that we're not allowed to ask people certain things about uh, their marital status or stuff like that, right? So <laughs> I got to go there. Um, well, I, I think I think listeners uh, can probably infer uh, from that what they would like to, right? But I'm guessing too that the insurers were quite involved in that step of the process, were they, or was it more the case that it was left to legal and executives, and then they'd just sort of file a claim later if that was something that wound up happening? Yeah, this is a very this is a very corporate decision, right? Um, and it's a it's an important decision to ha discussion to have too at the board level prior to these kind of events happening, right? Um, there's obviously a lot of uh, there, there's a lot of um, regulatory guidance on on this topic, and it's a very difficult decision for companies to go through because well, that of guidance some of the seems to change effects. a bit, right? Like because this is it, a couple of years ago, yeah. this attack now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, gu the guidance changes, but there's still, there's always been this, um, you know, there's been sort of, you know, there there's, depends on what regulatory body you listen to and look at. I mean, there's always some some guidance here, but it's very sort of gray space guidance, as you can imagine, right, as you suspect, especially a couple of years ago. Yeah. But every company's got to make their own decision on in terms of how much is this disruption worth? Yeah, no, I mean, I exactly. get it, right? That's been, the, that's been the calculation. What I have noticed, though, is 
organizations in this situation are increasingly just saying F you and not paying, their data is being dumped and no one cares, which yeah. I think is kind of interesting. I think I don't think this is a crime type that's got legs in it necessarily because people are like, okay, fine. Uh, I think it was like Puma, the sportswear company, had like their internal software leaked. And like, who cares? <laughs> right? Like it was straight up like, who cares? So I think where organizations a few years ago might have been more compelled to pay, these days they're just like, well, just let them dump it. Who cares? It's not really going to hurt us. Yeah, and I, and I I think we're going to see more of that, to be honest. And I'm yeah. certainly hoping we do. I mean, there, there's still a regulatory situation, if, especially as you're analyzing the data, because, um, you know, there's obviously disclosure issues that you've got to be very sensitive to um, and other things based on, on different global regulations uh, that's happening. But, yeah, I, I think in general, ransomware, whether you're talking, have I been impacted? Do I pay? You know, what is the the reputational issues? It's, it's one that we've got to remember, this is a crime, mm. you know, and, and, you know, there's nothing to be embarrassed by, by being a victim of a crime. Um, and no, I, I think, and look, could, I, think I think one thing that's been, you know, that's great about this interview actually, is you've described how you could be doing a good job and, you know, having a bit of mismanaged infrastructure with an open RDP in your cloud environment. Like, I don't think there's many people listening who would think that they're immune to that sort of slip up in their environment, there might be a few, but they're going to be the really yeah. uh, security critical types of organizations. I think for most enterprise, like that's something that they could, they could not put their hand on heart and guarantee you that they're not going to have a similar sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it is, it is difficult. I mean, there's the comment. It's a matter of if not when I know a lot of people debate this, 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 this uh, sort of slogan. If not when or when, not, I... when not if. Yeah, no, you're, 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 I guess that's right. When, not if, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah it, it, at some point, someone's going to have to deal with something similar to this. I mean, ransomware is absolutely a, a digital pandemic out there, right? I mean, folks are just getting getting hit all the time. So I, I think the more, and this is why I love the approach our company took, starting from from our CEO, is like, you know, listen, and, and, and it wasn't a control the narrative situation. It was really, we've got to be really transparent. We've got to get the security industry with us to help us know what we don't know. We've got to get our customers engaged, not only to let them know, hey, get your set, get your, you know, heighten your own awareness, but also, you know, some of our customers have, many of our customers have some incredible security teams that helped us learn some things that, uh, that, that helped us. So we very quickly, we, we put into a, a private GitHub repository. We put all the Intel out there. We couldn't share some obviously like C2s because of uh, law enforcement requests, but we shared a lot of Intel within, within hours, literally of being breached. You know, we got out to our customers and we definitely got them involved and, you know, customers have their concerns just like I would as a customer. Mm. You have to go through your due diligence to make sure, Hey, what's the risk? Well, you know, and they have to, something? they have to, you know, look, the great thing about being transparent is that it is uh, something that tends to lead to credibility. And in a situation like that, you need to have credibility with your customers and it's difficult to 100%. do when you're obfuscating what's happening, right? Exactly, exactly. And, it, you know, it, I think we were mentioning kind of our, our earlier discussion, you know, I spent a number of years with FireEye Mandy and, and putting a lot of focus on disclosure and, and intel transparency um, with public policymakers as well as regulators. And it's just, it makes us all better as a community. And it was amazing to me. I shouldn't say amazing. It was so reassuring to me to just 
see the security community really rally with us here. Mm. And I had, you know, whether they were, you know, security vendors or partners or whether they were customers running their own Intel teams, the amount of information I was getting to help in our own investigation. Yeah, like someone uh, tapping you on the shoulder and say, hey, by the way, we've observed this crew doing this. Keep an eye out for this. This is a reliable thing. Yeah. No, I get that. And it sounds sounds too like management certainly – you know, did not restrict you from doing your job, which is something that can actually happen in these situations. They just hand it all over to legal. And next thing you know, you're, you know, you're having to report to a partner from dickhead and dickhead uh, to, <laughs> to do your job. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's amazing how much support we get as a community um, when we put it out there. And, and we got a lot of, I mean, obviously there's Intel engines out there that ingest this stuff quickly and put it out there. But we didn't want to wait for those, you know, all that, all that uh, technology to catch up. We wanted to get it out there very quick to our customers, let them know what's going on, give them the reassurance that this is a pretty limited blast radius. We shared more than I think most companies do, specifically not only with our customers, but with the industry overall in a very short period of time. And it, it, it wasn't, again, it wasn't to do any narrative control. It was more of just, hey, we, you know, we just we feel like this is the right thing to do. Well, and, it is the way to handle it. I mean, I'll happily put my heart, hand on my heart and say that that is actually the right, the right way to do it. Um, I think the people who issue boilerplate statements about caring about the security and privacy of customer information can get in the bin, Michael, because uh, that is an information-free <laughs> statement. But look, I want to wrap, start wrapping this up here now, right? Uh-huh. And, and I want to talk about, you know, three things. What went right? What went wrong? And, you know, what were the steps you took after all of this to try to, you know, bolster your defenses a bit better so you wouldn't get hit again? So let's start with what went right. And it sounds like catching it relatively quickly is what went right here. And also uh, having management that actually let you do your thing. Um, Those sound like the two things that kind of prevented this from being catastrophic. Yeah, no, you absolutely captured it. I mean, I think those are... Definitely, those are things that went right. I mean, there are things that we did in advance of this. Like, you know, you don't segment something overnight, right? I mean, the segmentation yeah. work that happened in this company happened over years. And not just the network segmentation, but the logical se- uh, segmentation was just, I mean, that that was just a, some incredibly important work. We already talked about the backup and restore. I mean, for the most part, that went right. How we did communications went right. And I'll tell you, this is this is an interesting one for me. So you know, the, the, I'm guessing, I'm guessing you did wind up sending a few emails to your backup vendor because with where you would rub your, rub your temples and just say, <laughs> okay, so we've run into this issue. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that. I mean, we, we, our backup vendor, this, and I would say this to all of our vendors. And I think it's so important here. If you, as part of your communication strategy, if you communicate to your vendors as well, it's amazing how they rally around you. And for us, we we really reached out to a lot of our key vendors and let them know, like our backup provider and other folks, and said, "Hey, we're in this situation, and it wasn't about how you can help. It's just more about, hey, I'm going to put my best team to help you." And in this case, actually, our backup vendor put probably one of their A team organizations behind us just to just yeah give us support wherever we needed it. And but I mean, that's kind of it, yeah, right? Everybody wants to get in a fight like this, right? It's you know, especially when yeah, it's not I mean, your organization, like it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I prefer to do it by helping people. Yeah. But, uh, I'll leave okay, it. Okay. That. So, but so yeah, we've got no, network segmentation, management support, good backups. I mean, those three things right there, they are pretty big. 
I mean, they're definitely big. And, and, you know, there's other things, right? I mean, you, in, in terms of learnings, but we'll get into that in a moment. But the, the thing also Don't say is, learnings. It's not a word. You mean lessons. Is it a, Don't lessons, do this corporate speak. I do not allow it okay, on the show. Go. Learnings uh, is, is verboten, <laughs> forbidden word. Anyway, go on. Fair enough. All right. Okay. So we, we, I've known a forbidden word, and I think we created a, uh, a term about Russian. What yeah, was the, the, Russian the, term the reverse Russian. The reverse Russian. Excellent. All right. So we've achieved it. <laughs> But you know, c- communication is is key. And I'll, I'll tell you the area that I, that I would highlight around communication is, you know, everybody, including the CEO at this point, becomes part of the infosec team. Mm. I mean, it's just that simple. And and I know all of my peers out there do this, but you know, using this as an opportunity, take advantage of that. And we did. So it, it's not in terms of we act, you know we sort of overexercised our power here, but really. You know, cultivating a culture of security is probably the most difficult job any CISO has out there today or CSO has out there. And getting the entire company mobilized around this event, I mean, it, it's 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 a cultural moment mm. and you want to definitely leverage it. And, and we did, I think, really well. I mean, not only did we engage our employees, one, to not have them panic, not have them, you know, go out there and speculate, um, but we wanted them on our side to say, Hey, see something, say something. And if you see something strange, don't, you know, get it to us fast. And suddenly we had an army of infosec folks really helping us in the observation and the monitoring mode, um, and doing the right thing. And then, and then we converted that with the help of a lot of areas to, to really help us, you know, sort of continue to really build this and cultivate this, uh, this culture of security across the company, which has always been important for us, but it's a, it's definitely a cultural moment and we definitely took advantage of it. So I think that went really well for us. Now, in terms of what went wrong, I'm going to guess a couple of things. I'm going to guess slow migration of kind of legacy infrastructure, which should have been done and poor observability of kind of unmanaged or inappropriately controlled cloud assets being that RDP server. I think the the, the, the proper term are control deviations, right? So um and, and listen, it's it, and Patrick, you appreciate this. this is hard. I mean, uh, I mean, we talked about a technology earlier, and you know, CMDBs are difficult out there. Yeah. And it's you know, I, I, it's difficult to have a CMDB that you can put uh, tremendous faith out there. You got to do a lot of work, takes tremendous enrichment, and but to start, if you if you prioritize, which we do, making sure you know everything about your perimeter has got to be a priority. This really helped us in Log4j. Um, which was a yeah. big issue, right? So yeah, I can imagine you would because you would have been you would have had to have sort of upgraded your ability to do this sort of discovery, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you t- immediately the, and you know this this issue as well. We we all knew multiple patches were going to come out. Um, this issue is everywhere in an environment for the most part. And your first step you want to do is make sure that you can control the perimeter and ensure that uh, any ingress or egress type activities are controlled very well. So. You know, we, we've taken these lessons and we've really built upon them to become a much better organization as a result. Mm. Uh, but but from a CMDB perspective, if I have to prioritize anywhere, you know, just know your perimeter. And, and it's tougher in these COVID days where so many people are working uh, yeah. remotely. But uh, it's definitely something that you have to that, that requires a tremendous amount of attention. But that's definitely a, uh, that's definitely a lesson for us uh, and that we took it to heart and we, we built upon it. And what else? did you learn from this? What else did you look back in retrospect? And, you know, there might've been some weaknesses there that you saw in retrospect where you're like, geez, lucky they didn't spot that, but let's go fix it. 
You know, if anything, I, would, and I know this is going to sound a bit um, maybe academic, so you know, bear with me and we can go deeper. But it, it, you kind of you kind of talked about it earlier. Security is all about urgency and speed, mm. and just speed everywhere. Right? We were in the process of replatforming our EDR. We were in the process of replatforming a few other things. Um, you know, end of lifeing some systems. And I think every lear- well, the learning for me on this, and I think the, the learning lesson, from the team, the lesson, Michael, the lesson. Sorry, I'm so sorry, man. It's like, <laughs> it, we go through all these corporate trainings. It's hard to kick off in one interview, right? Uh, but anyhow, the, the the lesson here for us was: listen, urgency just needs to be part of our DNA. And when we're changing a security control, you know, you can't look at a six month rollout plan. Don't f- around. It has I to, think is what you're saying. It just yeah, it's got to move. It's got to move yeah. fast. And, um, you know, my corporate training won't allow me to say that word on the, your program. I That's apologize, okay. I can I say think, it for I you. I think you, you you captured it perfectly, man. <laughs> and in, including working with other groups, right? Like, you know, mm. you know, getting getting systems retired that just don't belong in the system anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's and that's kind of what I was getting at with those file servers, right? Like, that's just something yep. that you, you know, I think it's something where everybody has that thing that they just sort of, don't think about, right? And it's everybody. It's hard. It's yeah. this is, uh, you know, this is the time where I think every every CISO out there is being called to a different level and earning that O in our title, right, as an officer. Yeah. And it's 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 a complex thing because our job is not to eliminate risk. Our job is to help the company balance risk and prioritize what risks need the most attention. And it's a, it's a tough job. Well, I mean, you still have your job, right? So I guess, I guess, uh, well, you, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm guessing because you know you often see an incident uh, like this that might have been, you know, higher impact, and the CISO, you know, bye bye. Yeah, no, hundred percent. They have to do the and walk again, of shame. So it it is right. It, it, don't get me wrong. There was a few times when I was changing my password. I was uh, I got a little nervous, right? That maybe yeah. it wouldn't uh, let me do the change, but. You know, we've got a great company and the good news is we had a, this goes back to the urgency issue. You know, we had, I think a, what, what went really the best, what went well for us is that we were making so many great changes. We had done so much work in, 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 in advance to help us get to the position where we could respond like we responded. Hmm. And, and that was a, that was a, that was a big learning for us that not only did we have a good strategy, but we need we need to quicken the pace and we did um and fortunately the company allowed me to stay part of the part of the team and quicken the pace um, um versus other replacement for me well look michael montoya thank you so much i mean we've been talking about doing this interview for a long time a right? long time, thank, a long time. Th- thank you for your patience no i look i think it's really great that we've got someone such as yourself who's actually coming out and talking about you know where you won where you lost like just a real case study a real rundown uh, I think people are way too scared to talk about things like this where there has been a business impact because they think it re- reflects poorly on them rather than just sort of describing our reality uh, so I think this was a immensely valuable interview and I want to really say thank you for, for doing it because I'm sure uh, a lot of listeners just got an awful lot out of that so thank you very much well, thank you Patrick it's, it's just been such an honor to be on your show and uh, I really appreciate the opportunity That was Michael Montoya from Equinix there with a long conversation about his brush 
with ransomware. Big thanks to him for that. I'd also like to say thank you to Equinix's management and corporate comms for actually letting him do this. And of course, thanks also to the Hewlett Foundation's cyber initiative team for supporting this work. And that is it for this special edition of the show. I will be back next week with more security news and analysis. But until then, I've been Patrick Gray. Thanks for listening. Thank you.